from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Thursday, our Thursday home all year long, thanks to Silver 7's, Flamingo, and Paradise. Willie Ramirez is the company. Jed's helping out down here. We got a ton of prizes. Happy hour begins in just one hour, 3 o'clock start, 277 on Margarita's Shots and Beers. We'll be watching the NBA draft. First pick goes down a little after 4.30. So, yeah, early start if you're listening right now and you're like, where are Canty and Carlin? Well, they're usually not on anyway, but uh, they're fill-ins. We're covering up. Sorry, but we're getting ready for the NBA draft. Getting ready for the NBA draft. 4.30, first pick. A lot of intrigue about who's going to go with the number one pick. We'll get to that. We got some Aces stuff to get to. Willie got some great conversations with both Kelsey Plum and DeMarcus Cousins later in the show. Uh, will intro Bruce Cassidy on this show to the Vegas audience. The new Golden Knights coach expected to join us again at 3.30. Running the show today is Damon. Let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. What up, Willie? What up? A whole lot, actually. Dog days, right? It's always dog days of sports radio. Not anymore. Never was, actually. Uh, So much going on. Uh, First of all, we do have breaking news, which... I appreciated. I'm not sure why there was an apology necessary, but um, if folks haven't listened to the show, you know we at times tend to skew a bit older because we're a little older than you know the rest of the company. We're both past 50, and I was of course on TikTok yesterday, as I'm every day, um, and I saw a quick video with Justin Timberlake dancing, and you know he's aged a little bit. Right. And he had kind of a, as some people called it, like IT guy outfit on, had some khakis. Um, He got cracked on a lot, which is funny because he's very popular. And uh, headline here, Justin Timberlake apologizes to fans after awkward dance video goes viral. Um, He blamed the pants and uh, various other factors for appearing to be old. I will tell you, I think he's in, I can't keep track of all the TV shows and and uh, shows that I watch. Um, I think he's in the show about the weird uh, Mormon, I think it was a double or triple murder. I got to look up the name. I think he's one of the cops, and, man, they make him look old. Like He does look like he's, like, 55 years old. So, listen, Justin, we all have days where we don't look young, right, Willie? How old is Justin? I would guess, what, 42 or something? He's younger than us. Yeah. No need, to, no need to apologize for looking old every once in a while. I looked old today. You did? In the gym, yeah. Yeah. Leg day. Uh-oh. What happened? I just, you know, still working the knee, but it was my fourth attempt at squatting since the surgery. Today is nine weeks, but I did get 315 up for one rep. Nice. So Very nice. Yeah, he's 41 years old. So. Ah, he doesn't need to apologize. Does the, so the ca- the khaki look, the nerd look, did he kind of look like his character in Friends with Benefits? You know, he was the blogger. You don't know. No. Sorry, I wish I had an answer for you. I don't know. You didn't see that? I've seen it, but I, it didn't it didn't sear into my memory. I mean, I'm looking at it now. He's got a tie on. I mean, he does. He looks like he's like 25 years old in that one. Hmm. So apology accepted. Sometimes we look old, JT. It happens, dude. It happens. It happens to the best of us. Uh, especially if you don't get enough sleep, and I got enough sleep, but um, if you're actually tracking the markets in the NBA draft, it's a terrible segue, but 
if you're tracking the markets in the NBA draft, last night was wacky. Yeah. Because, well, the last 10 days, Jabari Smith has been all over the place as the number one pick. He's never really been a dog. There's never been, well, recently there hasn't been another choice. Um, he was as high as, like, minus 600 early yesterday or two days ago, and then it started shifting where rumors picked up that Paolo Bancaro could be the number one pick. Bancaro dropped into from, like, 10 to 1 on Friday, Willie, to, like, plus 260. I took plus 260. And then last night there was another Bancaro rush where he basically became a pick em. Both of them were, like, even money, minus 115, plus 110. Um, I think it's moved back a little bit. So if you were smart, which I'm not, and I'm not a professional gambler, you could have had numbers all over the place and you could be in pretty decent shape tonight. But there is some intrigue. There is some intrigue about who's going to go number one. Orlando has a number one pick. Is it Jabari Smith? Is it Paolo Bancaro? Smith-Auburn, Bancaro-Duke, Chet Holmgren, Gonzaga. Um, I like the verbiage we use in 2022 sports reporting. Woj, who I'm pretty sure is still allowed to do the Woj bombs, and if not, then the Shams bombs will come down, and you, know, you can follow the draft on social media, which I do not do. I watch it on TV. I don't want to ruin But anyway, um, Woj said that Smith going first, this is, a, this is a report, this is a scoop. Smith going first is, quote, increasingly firming up. I've never heard that one before. It's increasingly getting more firm. Hmm. He's a lock to go number one. It's getting firmer. Whatever that means. You're going with Sham Bomb. I'm stuck on Sham Bomb. I can't believe you didn't go with, like, maybe Sham Wow. Remember the Sham Wow commercial? We could do Sham Wow. Yeah, so you got the Woj Bomb and Sham Wow. Sham Wow. Well, the thing with uh, Sham Sharani is that he started to extend into other sports, especially the NFL. So maybe he, he has a little more might than Woj, but the, he, the Woj Bomb is more familiar to the audience. He has ventured astray. He's had a, he's had a couple of scoops. Yeah. He's had a couple of scoops here and there. So, news this morning, and I don't think this has been confirmed. By the way, let me ask you. So, yes. who do you think who do who, who do you think's going first? Who do you think should go first? Uh, I've said all along. I think Chet Holmgren is the best player. I think he has the most upside. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't worry so much about the weight. These guys are all like twelve years old. So, Steph Curry was real thin at one time, wasn't he? He was. I mean, it took him. You know, now he's thirty-four years old, but his his size is fine. Now the comparison would is a little loose because one guy is a wing guard, point guard. The other guy is going to have to play the four or the three. I think he's a three. Frankly, I think he could play the two if he could do it defensively. But I think he's a small forward, and he's around seven foot, seven one. Right now he's, I mean, he's skinny, 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 weighing about 195 pounds. But, you know, can he survive at 215? Um, do most NBA teams have really good strength departments where they put weight on guys? Yeah, and guess what? Uh, Holmgren might not walk into the league next year and go, you know, 16 points, eight rebounds, three blocks. I think eventually he can do that and be a good three-point shooter and actually be a, a good defender, believe it or not, around the rim at as skinny as he is. But I think he's a tough kid, uh, and I think people are looking at the now too much with him mm -hmm. versus what he'll look like physically in five years. I agree. I think that he can um – I think that the weight part doesn't matter. I think that, to be honest with you, I think that he can put he can bulk up by, I mean, it's June, right? So you're four months away. Now, I'm not saying he's going to put on the type of muscle he needs to compete against veteran men, but he can definitely put on some weight and some size and beef up in the next four months. 
and then by next his sophomore year in the NBA. Right, um, right now, I think Jabari Smith, though, um, I think he's a better fit just to go with the number one, to go with Magic because of the fact that he can play at both ends of the court. Um, he brings an offensive side, but he's really a – He's a defensive guy. He's a guy who can who's very agile on his feet, and he can just and adjust and defend down low or go out to the perimeter. I like his. Yeah, I don't like the logic that I'm hearing with the Magic that they can't go for a long term project again. Like that's what the roster is. You're not. Are you trying to win this coming year? No, you're trying to build for about three years from now. They stripped the whole thing down. They made some trades of their veterans. They got a young team. Add another young guy. Add the best young guy in the draft. But we'll see how it plays out right after. 4.30. So it looks like Riley Smith is back. It does. Frank Saravelli tweeted out this morning that, and it wasn't about Robin Leonard, he tweeted that sources say Smith and the Vegas Golden Knights have reached a verbal agreement to keep the winger with VGK on a contract extension. May not be immediately announced for offseason tagging cap considerations. I am not surprised in any way, shape, or form simply for the fact that since the end of the season and leading up to the Bruce Cassidy hire and, and now with this, we've never all we've really heard was, well, what are they going to do with the Riley Smith situation? But it's who who's expendable, who is on his way out. We've heard William Carlson's name brought up more about being dealt than Riley Smith. So this doesn't surprise me. Um, I remember Gerard Gallant saying that at one point that he was the smartest player on the roster, the most intelligent guy. Um, you know, X's and O's, getting out there and just kind of knowing everything that's going on on the ice, knowing who needs to be where. He's just a very intelligent. His IQ is very strong on the ice. And I don't think that, you know, when you when you look at the, the, the makeup of the roster and, and you have to decipher who is expendable, I think that's a guy that you want to keep compared to some of the other players. So this doesn't surprise me. I think he might be a little bit surprised. Oh, maybe he was playing a coy. Uh, he didn't seem to know what was going to happen when he was on with multiple shows on Lotus Broadcasting, VGK Insider Show, and our uh, Press Box Morning Show. That we know of. Maybe he was just playing it cool and just say, hey, we got you taken care of. Just be cool. Because Riley's never been a boisterous, talkative guy. When you ask him for something, you ask him for a quote, you ask him for something specific, he can break some things down. He, he, he gives you the right answers. He's always a good interview to get some information from, breakdowns of certain things, but he plays it cool, and he's very mild-mannered all the time. So just because he didn't allude to anything or he acted as if he didn't know, you know, things were in the works. He said he wanted to retire here. That's He's made it perfectly clear. He, he never said that, well, I don't know if I'm going to say this. This is where I want to retire. Well, he actually made it sound like he would take a discount. Yeah, so maybe in a way he, he didn't say it outright, but it sounded like he was a he's amenable to. to doing whatever you know needed to be done to stay around Vegas. He he made the point of hey, this is the first place I've really been able to plant roots. You know, I bounce around a lot, so I really like it here. And I will throw this out there. I I don't know this in any way, shape, or form, but I'm just putting this out there. He is the type of guy, the character that he brings to the to the organization as a whole, that it wouldn't surprise me if they had behind closed doors meetings saying, look, you want to retire here? That's great. Let's 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 take care of you. Let's get you through the end of your career here. And we'll take care of you on the back end. There'll always be a spot for you in the front office, like they did Derek England. Because I think that Riley Smith has been accepted in this community to as one of the original misfits, a guy that can go out into the community and sort of be a front office guy. Like I said, you know, his uh 
just his IQ, his, his high intelligence in terms of the sport itself. But um, I think he has a business mind that maybe that's part of the deal. Who knows? Still a giveaway here early in the show. We got tickets to Morrissey, Caesars Palace, Coliseum. He's doing a residency from July 1st to the 9th. Caller 7 right now gets a pair of tickets to see Morrissey, 80s legend uh, from the Smiths. Had the solo career as well. Still going on. 364-1100. Caller 7. Again, show goes down July 1st to the 9th. You can grab your own tickets at Ticketmaster.com. It's Viva, uh, Viva, Maz Vegas, Coliseum, Caesars Palace, Morrissey in town. Tickets right now. DeMond's got them. 364-1100. Over it goes for Hill. The team shreds and scores. It's a fourth-line goal, and it's Nico Stern with his first ever avalanche goal. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. All right, rolling on Silver 7s, Willie Ramirez, Cofield. Let's get into uh, what's going on with the Stanley Cup. All of a sudden, this series looks kind of bleak for the Lightning, and it's a shame because game one and game four, super close, but they come out on the wrong side of both. And we also have controversy from last night. That was a weird end to the game. It was. Um, Lightning coach John Cooper, he wasn't happy. He appeared very sort of melancholy and and downtrodden and sad and emotional with his comment in uh, somewhat, I, I guess, a soft, abrupt exit in saying, I'll, I'll be available tomorrow, I can't talk. But basically, he uh, he didn't allude to what it was, but of course, the media, those that were watching live, they went back to the uh, how the play transgressed and went, went through and Nazem Kadri appeared to step on the ice about uh, more than the, I think, the five-feet rule uh, before Nathan McKinnon got off the ice and was ahead of the play, and he's the one that scored the game-winning goal. There are people that are that have put screenshots with numbers above each player, one, yeah, two, three, four, five, six, seven, there were six players including, the the go- including the goalie. Problem is, is there's also screenshots at the exact same time where there's six lightning players on the ice. So, you know, this is a, this is a rule – that you either have to nip it and be hardcore about it or shut up about it because it is probably one of the most overlooked rules in hockey. Here's John Cooper after the game. This one's going to sting much more than others just because I think it was taken on. It was potential. I don't know. It's hard for me. This is going to be hard for me to speak. I'm going to have to speak. I'll speak with you tomorrow. You're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. And I, my heart breaks for the players because we probably still should be playing. Nazem Kadri, game winner, didn't get it, didn't get what Cooper was complaining about. And I'm not quite sure, you know, what he was really, what he's thinking, why it shouldn't have counted. I mean, that, that kind of confuses me a little bit. You know, the puck hit the back of the net, uh, end of story. P.K. Subban doing analysis this morning for uh, Get Up on ESPN, talking to... Greeny seemed to say multiple times that there was something wrong with it, but it was like, well, but it's not important enough to call. I don't really get it. Go ahead, PK. It's too many men on the ice, but 
it's hard to nitpick. I think the puck was already all the way down the ice. It was a stretch play that came up. It came up the other side of the rink. I don't think anybody saw it. Obviously, when the goal was replayed, everybody saw there were six people on the ice. I don't think this really impacted the the game as far as the ending goal. Listen, Tampa was up 2-1 in this game. You know, they blew a lead at home, and it's a tough break for them. Obviously, I'm sure they want that call. There's a lot of calls I'm sure they wanted in this game. I mean, they have a reason to be upset about it. Okay. Nitpick. It didn't have an impact on the goal. I, the They blew the lead is the lamest thing ever. If there's a call to be made, there's a call to be made. He called it a tough break, and they have a reason to be upset. So what is it? Should they call it or not? I, I don't get it. What's the rule? And just because they, they don't call it, well, then why is it a rule? Well, let's and the have, other part let's of it is, why is this not reviewable? Why is every, every, shouldn't everything around every goal be reviewable? It should, but let's, let's, let's ask Tampa Bay Lightning Ryan McDonough, who says the too many men ice on ice non-call is something that happens all the time. It's something that's hard to call and something players do often. He was not upset by the no-call. It's part of the game. So then why call offsides? Because that's real precise, isn't it? Why not just left, let offsides go in both hockey and soccer? You'd have to, to – so to go back and review it, I would imagine you have to go back and sit there with a, with a timer and what, with, with, as long as there's a, a – a, and I think that I sent over a video uh, the, that's right near the bench and sit there and clock how many times a guy's gotten off and the second he touches he's, 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 his butt or his glove, whatever, is not touching the – the, the board, and then whoever's coming off. But again, while that was taking place, the Lightning had six men on the ice also. So, you know, it's I think it's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's the rule, so you got to call it. But it's something that it's one of those, you know, bang-bang plays, like a bang-bang play at first. You got to get them right. But Do they review bang-bang plays at first? Do they? Yeah. I mean, you have to challenge it. That's a sight thing. You're going to sit there and you're going to – it's a sight thing. Here, I don't know if they have the wherewithal. That would be something where they'd have to discuss during the offseason meetings and agree to it that a rule change in that they're going to have a camera sitting on the bench and if a goal is scored and it's challenged, and then I believe it's it's within five – I don't even know if it's time, Steve. So I don't know if they can sit there and clock it. I think it's it's feet – I think it's within five. I believe it's within five feet. So as they're approaching, you can get off. Now, if you look at the video that I sent, it's pretty clear. There was some time there. He probably could have waited before McKinnon got there. I mean, to me, if there's six players on the ice and you're trying to make adjustments defensively based on who you see on the ice, then it can have an impact on the goal. It can. And so the only way, in my opinion, the only way to change it is that there is no more you can get off as your guys are exiting. They have to be completely off the ice. I mean, how else are you going to do it? You have to wait until they're completely off the ice. So now there's going to be nice little collisions in here and there because you see it all the time. You see, you know, when we're at the at the T-Mobile, you see, you know, Marchessault is coming off at the same time, the third line is coming on, whatever it may be, and it's it's simultaneous. Now, if you if you're going to make a change, so so it's crystal clear, cut and dry, you got to wait till they're off the ice. I mean, I would assume this is coached, right? The speed of the change? I'm sure it is. I mean, I'm sure it's something. I, but I don't know if it's a drill. I mean, it's just something that, I mean, it's something you learn in 
peewee hockey. It's something that you just, it becomes natural. Uh, I want to ask, we have Bruce Cassidy on later on. We are going to ask Bruce Cassidy, yeah. We have the new VGK, uh, new VGK coach coming on later on. We'll run it by him, and maybe he'll just say, you know, not a big deal. But John Cooper thinks it's a big deal. And then I thought the weird part was the NHL releases a statement, which there are so many times we get unsatisfactory responses on controversies from the NHL. And I think this is another one of those is Greeny here on Get Up reads what the NHL had to say about the controversial ending of Game 4. They said they met with the four officials. In discussing it, each of the four officials advised they did not see a too-many-men-on-the-ice situation, and that call is not subject to video review, either by hockey yeah. ops or on-ice officials. We'll talk much more about these. There you go. Well, they I talked watched- much more about it, and uh, well, I guess we can all beat our heads against the wall, but if the NHL doesn't care and most of the fans don't care, then I guess we don't care. I watched Greeny and when it was Mike and Mike for years, and they never talked about hockey. So all of a sudden, him being an aficionado, he, he can read all the statements he wants. I don't want to hear what his opinion. Damn, look at you going at Greeny. All right, on the way back, let's get to a little NBA, a little WNBA. we got uh, conversations coming up later in the show with Kelsey Plum. But on the way back, Willie had a quick conversation about uh, NBA coming to Vegas with one DeMarcus Cousins. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. NBA draft count up tonight, 430, 435, 440. First pick will have ESPN National, the radio coverage throughout this evening's draft. We're here at Silver 7s, early start. We go until 430. Willie, Cofield, Jed. On the scene, uh, one more hockey point because now we got a three-one series in the Stanley Cup Final. Tampa feels like they got screwed over. Not going to be any remedy. Uh, you have not been on since Pete DeBoer announced as the new coach of the Stars. What did you find interesting about what he said? Well, I find a little bit interesting that he started the conversation by saying that he was rattled, or it was it was it was the main point made in the. Uh, in his intro presser, that the Vegas firing rattled him. Um, I guess he, he was taken aback by it. Probably didn't expect it after numerous conversations with Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee. And oh, Bruce Cassidy said the same thing in his press conference that yeah. you know he had to lick his wounds. You know, had to take a couple of days for him and his family to recover being fired by the Bruins. If you don't expect it coming, you know, it can be shocking. It hurts. No one likes to be fired. Yeah, and I think with this job, you know, in particular, there's there's a there's somewhat of a mystique by it, you know, uh, when uh, when um, Gerard Gallant spoke with Adam back in whenever it was when they were back in New York, and um, you know, he was the same way. He was shocked and surprised, and it stung. Of course, he you know waited out the season, and then now just had his first season with the Rangers. But for DeBoer. You know, I don't think there was any question that he was going to get a job. It's just that this is such a highly sought-after job, and there's so much talent on the roster, there's so much potential. And I think for him, it was more so of a, you know, gosh, with a healthy roster, what could we have been? He even said, you know, you reflect on what you could have done differently. I don't know what he could have done differently. Other than Cal bow down to Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee and do whatever it is that they wanted him to do if there was something that he did differently in terms of listening to them. And if that's the case, then that means they were micromanaging and trying to coach above him. So I'm not sure what he could have done differently. Could he have orchestrated a better power play? I guess, but those guys got to put it, execute as well. 
Every coach going to have maybe a different attack. The bottom line is you got one man in advantage. You feed the puck. Maybe it's the personnel that he put on this. I don't know. Now, I'm not a hockey coach. I just know that the power play wasn't that good with the players that were out there doing it. But it was also makeshift. I mean, this is no disrespect to Keegan Colasar, but I don't think that he felt as much pressure than he did this past season being on the ice as much as he was when so many superstars were injured at certain times. He found himself on the power play. He was never like sort of thrust in that with a roster like this. A lot of players grew up last year with this team. So I don't know if there's something that he could have done differently. And again, I don't know. I can't believe that Pete DeBoer thought for himself that he was, you know, that he was going to go through the summer without getting offers and he'd find a new job. I think it's just Vegas, and it's something that you, you know, this is not a place that you want to be fired from. You want to be here. You want to be here, like the NBA, right? Demarcus Cousins was at the Aces game the other night. Willie uh, walked up to him, grabs a quick conversation with him, and got the reaction of Demarcus Cousins. What does he think of the NBA potentially landing in Las Vegas? I think it's a good stomping grounds to move a team here, man. Uh, it's a lot of basketball fans here. Uh, it's an extension of the West Coast teams. It's a lot of fans, a lot of fans that don't get the opportunity to come to some of the, you know, the West Coast team games because most are in the California area. But uh, with that being said, man, so many fans out here, this city is just foaming at the mouth at the chance to be able to have a, a professional basketball team here. So. Uh, when it does, man, the city, city is going to blow up for sure. What could Las Vegas do for the NBA, and what could the NBA do for Las Vegas? It seems like it's a marriage made in heaven. It's a marriage made in heaven. It's, as far as business being on the, on the positive side, I think it's a match made in heaven. When you heard last week or when it was that LeBron said, I want to be the one that brings a team, how much fun would it have to be a LeBron-owned team in Las Vegas? I mean, I feel the same way LeBron does. I want an opportunity to get in on bringing a team here as well. Las Vegas is home for me, so I feel the exact same way he does. I want a chance to be able to bring a team here as well. DeMarcus, we thank you for your time joining Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, thank you. DeMarcus Cousins. He was v- fantastic. Vegas resident, DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah. He was a... Uh, he was fantastic, you know. He uh, he was there with his little boy. He 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 made his way around the arena, um, went into the courtside club at halftime, and kind of said hi to, to a lot of people. I was, you know, it was funny, Steve, because I, I I went up to I tried to follow the right protocols. Like, hey, do you think I could? Birth? Someone said, ah, he didn't seem like he was too approachable. He wasn't too happy about being asked. I, I would imagine that he's used to it anywhere he goes. It's not like he's a low-key guy could put a bucket hat on and just hide himself. Everybody knows who he is. So he was just standing there after the game. I walked up, and when I asked him and and prefaced, hey, you know, we spoke before at the Team USA, and then you've been out there for the summer league, blah, 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 blah. I just wanted to get a couple comments for you for our radio show for the NBA. He looked at me. He goes, heck, yeah, let's go. Like, he was excited. So uh, talk about enthusiasm for getting a team here. He's all on board. DeMarcus Cousins with Willie Ramirez. I can't wait for the next news item here because the NBA has been all denial mode about expansion. But I have a feeling we're going to find something out within 12 months that they're looking to expand. And then, and then they'll have the whole derby for a few months with the markets and create a little drama that way. You know, get markets like Kansas City and Louisville and some others excited before they eventually settle on two Pacific time zone markets. Seattle deserves a team and so do we. Absolutely. They'll be the next two. Um, this town will, will continue to just grow and be a frenzy. Um, we'll see the NBA All-Star Game again, revisited, improved, something that 
Oscar Goodman put into motion back when he was in office and really courted David Stern and the rest of all major league sports, for that matter, um, and was very, has been very instrumental in introducing professional sports to Las Vegas. And I think that the NBA, I think this is a perfect spot for the NBA. And I, and I know everybody's right now, mate, well, not everybody, but I think the, you know, the headlines, because every other day, the Oakland Brass is coming here to look at two sites. It's always two sites or two Whatever. sites. Yeah. Baseball yeah. so yeah. on the back burner, so on the as, back burner. Com- as compared to the NBA. The support will be here for the NBA. Uh, the House Committee, talking to the commanders investigating their workplace issues, continue today. A former COO spoke, but yesterday was a, a crazy day. So much foolishness. We'll get into that with our legal insider on Thursdays, Xavier Pope. Live from the Astrodome in Houston, Texas, the tennis battle of the sexes, Billy Jean King versus Bobby Riggs. What a scene it is. And I didn't realize that he never once talked about my accomplishments, just my looks. And here comes Billy Jean King, a very attractive young lady. And sometimes you get the feeling that if she ever let her hair grow down to her shoulders and took her glasses off, you'd have somebody vying for a Hollywood screen test. I gotta call my lawyer. Xavier Pope, lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor. He is live on Cofield and Company. Cofield and Cofield and Company. Well, that was a great piece of audio pulled by the uh, vast Lotus Sound crew. Howard Cosell, Battle of the Sexes, Billie Jean King, and Bobby Riggs. And Cosell, as Billie Jean King mentioned, would not talk about her tennis accomplishments, only about her looks. You heard it there. Well, she'd be pretty if she did this, this, and this. Let's get into the Title IX anniversary. There's a lot to talk about with Title IX, uh, especially with the backdrop of female in the workplace issues with the Washington Commanders, right? Like a lot of the stuff, if you watch, that was actually pulled from the ESPN documentary on Title IX. Four parts, two are out, two more are on the way. A lot of the stuff you hear in that documentary is very familiar in the vernacular some some 50 years later xavier pope is with us our legal insider cultural contributor here on espn las vegas xavier how you doing buddy pretty good what's up guys did you like that howard cosell's like well she'd be pretty if she grew her hair out took those glasses off i mean this is we still have a president that got elected after saying grab him by the yeah. privacy yeah. i mean what's changed in america i mean i mean we are celebrating 50 years of title nine at the same time this potential of roe versus wade being, being overturned so i don't think women are particularly that happy with seeing 50 years pass and then some of the same issues they were dealing with at that time coming back to bear yeah I'm, I'm telling you watch watch this documentary because the way a lot of the guys do interviews with the heroic women who were at you know the uh, the front of the push for era a lot of the, yeah. the words they use and the language they use. Like, I thought it was uh, very interesting when one interviewer was talking to Billie Jean King and he just kept saying, what are you angry about? Are you angry? What are you angry about? And she's like, I'm not angry. Like, we just want equal rights. Stop with, because that's, that's the way women were branded. It's like, you know, the, the anti-establishment, the, the lesbians, the angry women, the women libbers. Um, and that's why I'm telling you, what Title IX has done for women, and really a lot of a lot of folks who did not have a lot of rights back in the late 60s and early 70s, the impact of it some 50 years later is massive. 
Yeah, I think it is massive. I don't do you do you think you have the explosion in women's sports and in meek and revenue leagues coming out of uh, the equal treatment of women in collegiate sports, which still needs to have have equal funding on a level of men? No, you wouldn't have that. Um, we, we, we have an, an entire industry of women's sports that's come to bear in our modern society, and that's on the back of Title IX, and it, it has to be protected. Um, we have a society right now, we don't know. A lot of our laws are in flux. So it's great that 50 years is being celebrated, but that still has to be continued on into yeah. the future. It's a good reminder that there's still a lot to be accomplished. And um, listen, I'm not an expert on Title IX. I was learning a lot as I watched it, and really the, the whole thing started as – a push for equal rights to education. There were a lot of women who were getting denied access to education. Um, you know, law schools had quotas, basically only a certain number of women in the late 60s and early 70s could get in. There were hiring issues. You couldn't be a professor. Um, so that's actually where it started was just yeah. the workforce. Women could not get freaking jobs even if they wanted to be highly educated or they were highly educated. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's the origin of Title IX. And it's uh, well, that is equality is is across life um, for women. And it's a it's a, it's a battle that they continuously um, are facing, even now having pushed on in certain factions for men saying that because of Title IX, now it's unequal towards them. Um, and, and so it's it that's why it needs to continue to be preserved and protected. And that's why women are are raising their voices loudly and saying, hey, watch this, pay attention to this, um, or we will uh, be right back where we were before. Right. The uh, House Oversight Committee, you know, fascinating that uh, around the anniversary of Title IX, the Oversight Committee talking about the commanders in a hostile workplace, and then yesterday just kind of showed how screwed up our political process is because there were some who I think took it seriously and others it just turned into a kind of a dog and pony show and a chance to push their own agenda. Yeah, I saw Jim Jordan uh, and come out and ask about Ron Rivera and, and, and just go off the rails and talking about some of the different things like that that had absolutely nothing to do. Uh, and then um, you also had not all every, but this is Republicans, you also had Democrats. Um, some of them weren't necessarily prepared to ask questions. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, asked about um, with Roger Goodell get rid of uh, Dan Snyder and him not necessarily having the power to do that and her not necessarily being boned up on the process to be able to do that. Um, and so uh, this is, if you're going to bring a team like the Washington Commanders, one of the higher, highest valued teams in North American sports, and you bring them up to task, it has to be something that the public takes seriously because the issues are so important to women and also in, in, in workplace culture in America. Xavier Pope, attorney, host of Suit Up News, cultural contributor right here on Cofield and Company. What did you think of the way Goodell handled things? I mean, I'd like to say that, hey, he's just doing his job on behalf of the owners, but the fact that he kept saying repeatedly that Dan Snyder doesn't run the commanders currently seemed to be complete nonsense i mean it's roger goodell and he <laughs> is he, he's beholden to nfl owners and so his responsibility is to deny 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 act as if not act as if not act as if not 
And we know um, what the situation is with Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders. Um, we know that he um, wasn't going to even show up in front of Congress until he was subpoenaed. Um, so the NFL owners were totally content with letting someone who couldn't really do anything about it, Roger Goodell, sit in front of Congress and deflect and not really having any real issue um, be served uh, by the public that's interested in a very important matter. The committee chair, Carolyn Maloney, said of Snyder not being there yesterday, apparently Mr. Snyder is in France where he has docked his luxury yacht near a resort town. That should tell you how much respect he has for women in the workplace. Pretty, uh, pretty blistering words, but, you know, to your point last week when I kept saying, hey, you know, rich people, they just don't have to show up, and you, you kept saying, no, if he gets a subpoena, he shows up or he can choose jail. Yeah, yeah, I, I talked about this before. I mean, but what you see uh, with some of the statements that were made by Dan Snyder saying that the, the, the looking into this was a political stunt, um, that goes to show you maybe where his politics lies, and we have a, several... Uh, high-ranking officials from the previous administration that there are buck-ducking subpoenas right now, um, contempts of court right now. And so if Dan Snyder takes that same cue, will he duck the subpoena of the United States government? Um, that remains to be seen, but it's not unprecedented based on the politics we're seeing right now. Do you think eventually, you know, you mentioned the Rashida Tlaib question, do you think eventually it will come down to, a, a, you know, an effort to oust Dan Snyder, you know, where it's put up to the rest of the owners and they got to get a, a three-quarters vote. Do we get there at some point? Like, how bad does this have to get? I mean, Snyder actually, um, I mean, it came out the other day that uh, he had paid hush money, like $1.6 million in an alleged sexual assault case going back to 2009. I just, yeah. I wonder how bad it gets to where the other owners are like, you know, we got to try it. And uh, even though he's going to be litigious and come after us, we got to put this up for a vote. Until it costs other owners money, in a league that continues to make more money, then I don't think they're going to do anything about Dan Snyder uh, being owner of the Washington Commanders. Uh, it's just way too. Because here's the thing. It, it seems on its surface, oh, these issues happen. Oh, the, the guy has to sell the team. NFL owners are looking at themselves and some of the activity that they partake in. We all we saw Bob Kraft move past uh, an issue with a massage parlor and, and things of that nature. And that, that was quickly moved from NFL owners feel they can say and do whatever they want, and if they protect each other and keep each other in this club, then they can look past any individual indiscretions by any one of his members in that particular good old boys club. And that's why I say it, 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 until they lose significant amount of money, they're not going to do anything about Dan Steiner. I've been saying that for the last year. You know, it gets frustrating with the justice system uh, like I said, you know, a couple of minutes ago, even a process of the, the House committee when you're like, hey, this guy's wealthy, so he just doesn't have to show up. And um, we got a you know, weird case that's been public now for, you know, 30 years with O.J. Simpson and the civil trial and owing tens of millions of dollars to the Goldman family. And I, I just saw the number the other day came out with interest. He now owes ninety six million dollars with that judgment. But it looks like there's never going to be a way to actually touch any of his money. Yeah, I mean. What are you going to do? I mean, it, it, he he is basically living his life in Vegas. Yeah. Oh, believe me, we're well aware. We, we play his audio all the time. His commentary <laughs> is uh, sometimes gold. Sometimes it's uh, yesterday. It was kind of trash, but he's here. 
Yeah, and so I mean, at this point, they're they're just flat out not going to uh, see the money. Um, and I mean, at this point, if you're if if you're that family, you want to move on, obviously, uh, and and be able to live your life and not have to deal with this guy. I mean, you, the only place you're seeing OJ is is it really in the public eye? Really, is if you're around Vegas or if you're on Twitter. Hello, right. Twitter world. He says that all the yeah. time. Yes, truly. Yes, truly. But there's no platform that's going to ever give OJ Simpson an opportunity to make uh, any more money than he's already making right now. Willie Ramirez, Xavier Pope, Cofield, Willie. You saw the story about Suge Knight. I did. Former UNLV football player, music mogul. His civil trial in Tam's Burgers, hit and run, declared a mistrial. You see this, Xavier? Yeah, he pleaded no contest, which is, you know, and in in a in a in a pre, pre, previous criminal case, he's he's in jail for twenty eight years. I mean, whatever. I mean, as long as he's behind bars, <laughs> right now. I mean, the guy's a monster. Um, the fact that he hit and killed someone um is not shocking <laughs> considering his his uh his past um and so the most important thing is his his behind remains behind bars regard i mean snoop still talks about free free suge knight um love snoop dog a lot but definitely should i mean i know he has that loyalty to, to suge but uh this guy you know hurt a lot of people and uh, it's good that he's behind bars now so after the NBA Finals finished up, I saw you put out a top 10 NBA players of all time. I'm not sure what the parameters were, but you had Steph Curry at 10, Kobe at 9. Your number one and two were Michael Jordan and Bill Russell, then uh, LeBron and Kareem. And I saw you got a lot of pushback on Bill Russell, which I didn't get at all. And that included Jordan Cornette, who was, you know, he's uh, working for ESPN, played at Notre Dame. Um, I, I would think a guy who has a lot of basketball knowledge and respects the history of the game, but he, he didn't agree with you on Bill Russell. But he said not top 50, though, Steve. That's that's, that's, that's outrageous. Yeah, that's outrageous. I mean, Bill Russell was the first player coach to in the NBA, first African-American coach in the NBA, first African-American coach to win the NBA title, first player coach to win an NBA title um, and put up um, ungodly stats. And just because he played in an era um, that people just didn't see, that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't exist. Um, yeah. And it's unfair to continuously wait. I know that we have better athletes now and the, the different conditioning and training programs, but you can't um, discount champions. And that's why Michael Jordan himself said he really didn't like comparisons of different eras because each era has its own challenges that it has to face in terms of what that what, whoever the, the dominant player is in that particular era. But Bill, Bill Russell is the greatest winner of all time. He deserves a top three slot. And the greats of basketball, their game would translate to modern day. It's just that's a fact. Bob Cousy, I don't think so. But Bill Russell, absolutely, as a shot blocker, a rebounder, incredibly intelligent player. Who knows, man, with the new game and the way it's played, uh, maybe he develops a three-point shot. I'll give you the comparison with the NBA draft going down tonight. Bill Russell, I expect, maybe not the winning, but I expect Chet Holmgren to be an impact player. He should be the number one pick in the draft tonight. Yeah, there was someone who wrote an article that said, is Chet Holmgren going to revolutionize um, his position? Right. I thought that was a little bit of hyperbole. I don't – I think the guy's under – he needs to put on some weight, man. Um, And that's why I don't think he's going to be good right away if he ever is good. 
Um, he's going to be, he's a top prospect, obviously, but I just don't have any faith in him being a solid NBA player, but any more than being a really maybe a good role player, but I don't see him being a star in the league. You're, you're crazy. You're crazy. We're going to revisit this in five years because I need like five years for him to put the weight on. He's going to be a <laughs> seven foot or seven foot one small forward who can also protect the rim. I'm not saying he's going to revolutionize things, but it's like the next step of like how big can wing players be. This kid's going to be awesome, but we'll see. People are judging it right he's now. Gonna be on a body Kevin though. Garnett, like a Kevin Garnett, or uh, or maybe like a Kevin Durant type player. I don't want to go that crazy. I, I was already comparing him to Bill Russell, so that's a little ridiculous. But I think he can. <laughs> I think down the road he can be, you know, a forty percent three point shooter, a sixteen and eight guy with you know three blocks, and then really difficult to cover, and a guy who can switch off in positionless basketball. I think I think he's going to be really good. We are up against it. Uh, real quick, like fifteen seconds. Suit up news. What do you got? So what I know is just finished recording an episode about the latest Supreme Court cases that came down the pipe. Um, we'll be dropping tomorrow morning. Check it out at my timeline, at Xavier Pope, E-X-A-V-I-E-R-P-O-P-E. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate it. Love y'all. Come on, Willie. Say it. Love you, Xavier. Love you, Zabe. There you go. Uh, 4 o'clock, check that. 3 o'clock hours on the way. Uh, we got an early start today, so 3 o'clock hours on the way. A little more on Title IX, and we'll go back and look at that Aces game, which turned out to be a, a bizarre loss after having such a big lead.